welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, an ongoing conversation with makers, thinkers, and doers, where we ask big questions of the small things. And then hearing your friend talk about that, I just thought, wow, I long for that. I want that. I want to be shaped in those ordinary things. I want to be sitting at my kitchen sink, washing my dishes, and looking out the window. I mean, I went on this big adventure and, you know, you're going to change the world or you're going to go experience the world. I just wanted to go back into the ritual of the ordinary things and be at home with my children. I am so excited about today's episode and I can't wait for you to meet our guests. They are fantastic and the conversation only gets better. Hello, I'm Tiffany. My family and I just moved back to the United States from Thailand where I was a teacher. Moving back during a pandemic is interesting. We are unemployed at the moment, though debt-free and are living off of savings. We've lived radically and unconventionally for many years, so we see this as another adventure. Just before we moved to Thailand, we were living in a one-room travel trailer scooting around the country. I am wife to a kind-hearted hunk and a homeschool mom to two adventurous, funny, and snuggly boys. I have a bachelor's in English and was trained to be a teacher but never wanted to teach in a traditional setting. I am a follower and worshiper of Jesus of Nazareth, and if I could clone myself and have two jobs, I'd fill a shelf with books and stories and poems I wrote, and I'd homeschool my children. Maybe I'll get to live both lives in one. Hello, I'm Mia. I'm married with four amazing kids, one who traveled all the way from China to be a part of our family. I have a degree in biblical studies and studio art. I love audiobooks and podcasts, and my favorite podcasts right now are Piecing It All Together and Pantsuit Politics. In 2015, I helped start a church called The Table, a place where everyone has a voice and whose voices matter. I love that we're a community that chooses to listen first. I love that we're not afraid to have open discussions and ask honest questions when discussing the Christian faith and the Bible. On a different note, I love anything home renovation. We recently remodeled our home and what others might consider a nightmare. We loved it. And I'm your host, Caben Kramer. I'm a fourth-generation California farmer, farming walnuts on fertile concow land along the edge of the Feather River. I'm a husband and a father to two awesome kids, and I identify as a white male and I'm loving my 30s. Formally, I'm educated as an engineer, though I've never actually practiced engineering as a profession. I identify as a follower of Jesus and find the teachings and lifestyle of Jesus attractive. If I could clone myself and do two occupations, my clone would probably be a cultural anthropologist. And with that lead-in, enjoy this bonus episode that picks up with Mia and Tiffany talking about what makes home a home for us. Enjoy the ride. What does home mean to you? Well, I'm going to start by making this a little bit on the boring side. Um, 
home often means people and the home is where the heart is. But honestly, for me, a lot of home is space working in a practical uh, way. And um, so I really like spaces that actually function well. Um, I do love beauty, but I just like it when spaces actually work. It's not really exciting, though. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that God has written or he set eternity in the human heart. And I struggle because I feel like I'm always trying to go back to Eden. When we were in our travel trailer for a year, I I just kept wanting to run and go to these places where they were unexplored, where there were no people, um, where it was wild and beautiful and untouched and what I kept finding was no matter where I went, you know, who was inside of me and the struggles that my family had or in my marriage or just who I am kept going, kept coming with us. It followed us wherever we went. Even coming back to Hawaii after being in Thailand, I love it. And I kept saying, I can't wait to go home and how this feels like home. And so much of it feels like Eden or what I think Eden might be like. I wish you guys could be here. And I just have this sense that I am not satiated by this search for home. Like I'm always looking for it and haven't really felt like my roots, even though I lived in Hawaii for a decade, like I haven't felt like my roots were really buried deep somewhere because my heart longs for something else. Like this world isn't all that it's supposed to be. And so it's interesting because eternity is this like philosophical, you know, not tangible place. And so I feel like I have one foot here and one foot in eternity. And it's, I love that I started with something like super practical because I just like (laughs) built the house and you're like, let's go to the spiritual realm. I think that's fantastic. I am a trained artist and I'm the daughter of an architect. So every space that I enter, I have my dad's voice kind of in the back of my head and spaces are supposed to create something. They're supposed to give you feelings. They're supposed to um, create environments. You know, they might be four walls, but they actually um, are meant to create and embody something. That's always had like a high value in growing up and and I've always just really loved like how architecture connects us to the ground, how windows connect us to creator, creator God. That's kind of how I see home. Oftentimes I think that like today I went on a crazy hike. It was really beautiful. I floated down the American River and um, that felt more like a sanctuary and more like church than I feel a lot of, you know, suburban churches. And so um, I think that if you try to combine both space and the nature around you just by putting windows in the right places to 
highlight certain parts of views can do that. I think that that is like a really simplistic way of looking at it, but I feel a lot of spiritual connection when my actual body is in nature. And so how do we do that while still having to have roofs all over our heads and, you know, cooktops and microwaves and that kind of thing. Okay. So the two or three times that I was able to visit your house while you were building it, I was always so impressed with the vision. And then the pictures that I've seen, just so impressed with the execution. So I feel like you've taken those ideas and you've really put them in a very physical way to good use. Being a potter, and then I did a lot of sculpture in college. I really love um, mixing different media, mixing different old and new, mixing different forms of architecture. And so um, I love to incorporate like modern, but also handmade. So I like to have a lot of woods and metal. Your home is like, was always kind of sitting in the back of my head when I was building our house, right? And I recognize that, you know, very different contexts and you probably would agree with this, but I'm very much about design for the specific place. So I don't just come up with a design and say, oh, I'm going to copy and paste that and put it anywhere I want to in the world. I, and once I'm in the space, I reflect and I think, what is this space calling forth? And then I take that and I say, well, what resources do I have? And then I have to scale it back by about an order of magnitude. <laughs> but I always, so as I was building this house, I just always was reflecting on, on your house. So, you know, that same desire of, you know, we put in real hardwood floors and we got them on clearance discount, super cheap. But I was really adamant that I wanted real hardwood floors and we poured our own concrete countertops because I wanted a real material and we couldn't afford marble, right? And I made our own butcher blocks because I wanted real butcher block. And, you know, so we just have all, we have solid redwood um, wall paneling in some parts of the house and all these things because I want that real material. I want to feel and touch. And, and for me as the builder, I know where that, I know the tree that grew. I know the land it was on when that tree was growing. We milled it ourselves. We cut it on our own sawmill. So I know the story of that tree. I know the story of the oak that's in our butcher block. I know the story, you know, and knowing that gives a deeper meaning. It was important, A, that the material is real material. But then it was also important that I knew the story of that material. And then it was important to me that it was arranged in a way that agreed with the space and the context. And all of that, you didn't teach me explicitly. We didn't have a class about it, but I just saw all those things being lived out in your own build. And I was always impressed because of course, the scale of your house is much more significant. Um, and it was just, and it was just so beautifully done. And so I just, I love it. I echo that. Kevin, you're very kind and being extremely generous with your compliments. So that's really nice. I think that we just, we, this house, um, it was an addition and a remodel. And so, um, I needed to be true to what the house already was. And similar to your family, I think it's important to live in spaces and have them show you 
what um, needs to come of it along with, you know, their own ideas. But I think that's probably like a little bit of my background with my dad being an architect and, um, you know, being a potter. It's always form and function and how you marry the two. So then on that note of form and function, I think that's a great segue back to Tiffany and what you were saying about um, rootedness and always yearning to go back to Eden. And I really loved what you said about there was a part of you that always longed to go to those wild places, those beautiful places, those untouched places. And there was something there that was calling you and even being in Thailand and now Maui are both worldwide renowned for their natural beauty and their aesthetic of Eden. So can you unpack for us a little bit about what that means to have a more transient sense of home, but that's still very rooted in the natural world? When Mia was talking about how she was on a hike and she has such a spiritual connection, I'm over here like, yes, yes, yeah, me too. And you both are describing the natural elements that you bring into your home. There's an inner artist in me as well. And so I love hearing how both of you have been able to create a home. A lot of people have told me, you have so much courage, Tiffany, for going on these adventures and stepping out in faith. And it takes a lot of faith, but there's also courage in stability, in putting your roots down somewhere. I'm at a place now having traveled with my family and having lived overseas where I want to step into that courage of the liturgy of the ordinary. And I want to be in my home and I want to do the rituals of laundry and dishes and homeschool. And I think that there is so much beauty in that as well. And that the Benedictine monks and just in monastic practice, many would take a vow of stability what they were saying yes to, or rather what they were resisting was this temptation to escape the truth about ourselves by moving from one place to the next. And as I'm searching for these beautiful places and wanting to go there, and I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but yourself is going to go to each of those places. You can't really escape yourself. I'm just ready to be in this place to say yes to that stability. I don't know what that looks like. In fact, we're not quite sure being in the middle of a pandemic if we're going to be able to put our roots down here. But I'll end on this. I think no matter where you are, in your practices, in the daily living, in your home, with your family, around the table, having a meal, gardening out in your yard, you can go to that other world. talking to Corey's parents about living, you know, multi-generational on a farm in Thai culture and a lot of Asian culture. It's multi-generational. It's really beautiful to see how, how grandparents can take care of kids and how kids can take care of grandparents, grandparents when they're older, what's different. So there's, there's pros and cons. And one of the downsides of these multi-generational homes or living space, um, or culture is that you don't get to just pick up and go move somewhere. You can't just 
you might not be able to just pick up and go somewhere. You might not be able to just do whatever job you want because you might be in a position where you have to take your family job, right? We live multi-generationally. My parents are the only other house on this property. Then we have some neighbors down the road um, who have kids of a similar age, which works out great. But we live on this family farm. I'm the fourth generation to farm this land, which means my great-grandfather bought it right at the end of World War II, and it was completely undeveloped land. Before my great-grandfather bought it, this land looked the same for as long as written history is known. And the Maidao Konkau Indians would live up in the foothills, and they would migrate down the river with the fish and the wildlife, and they would go back up with the salmon run. And they would do their traditional salmon festival as kind of their big annual celebration. And this was completely wild land. Our property backs up to a flood levee. And on the other side of the levee is that same wild land and then the river. So I, I live connected to that story that goes back a long way. Because of how we came into this land, there was a lot of learning. And then there was a lot of survival. My dad, and I have just incredible respect for him has literally spent his whole life just to own this property. The stories of heroic stoicism and resilience in the face of dire situations in order to care for a particular piece of land is amazing to me. But because it was done through a lens of survival, there were a lot of techniques done that couldn't be done continuously for the next 200 years and still have fertile land. So as I'm stepping into the picture, I'm beginning to think about that and moving back towards regenerative practices because I don't have the heavy burden of survivalism that my dad carried. He carried that burden for me so that now I'm stepping into an established land and I can think more creatively with it. So there is a sense of generational thinking where my great-grandfather said, I'm going to make a farm for my family. My grandfather squandered it. And then my dad learned from that lesson and said, no, I'm going to commit myself to like what you were saying, Tiffany, stability, establishment. We're going to have a homestead that we can call our own. And now I'm stepping into it. So there's a lot of multi-generationalism happening, literally because we live on the same property, but also in a scale of the ethos of what it means to farm here. I didn't think about that before we moved. But what I did think about, and in fact, it's the reason why I resisted moving here for about 18 years, I told Jen, if we move to the farm, we can never move again because there's a burden of care that's not really a burden because it's what's been happening for thousands of generations before me, that the son does what the father did and the children care for the parents in their age. And God has been able to smile on that and bless that for thousands of generations. And just recently, we as a collective society have seemed to have gotten a great case of amnesia and we've forgotten that sometimes those simple acts of small are the most honoring and the most beautiful. Jen and I still struggle with that. Um, we're here for a reason and this reason isn't us. This reason extends behind us and in front of us. The reason is my parents and the reason is our kids. And we actually are learning what it means to shape our identity through this multi-generational lens. What does it mean to continue in the tradition? What does it mean to enrich the tradition? What does it mean to bring value into that space and actually cultivate something good? And I don't literally mean the fruit of the land, which I do include, but I mean the ethos of participation and 
this interconnectedness of webbing across time. Um, people who died before I was born and people who will be born after I die are connected to this story and what I do tomorrow morning on the farm. Okay, so I'm I'm curious. Are either one of you guys familiar with the Enneagram? Um, I'm a one. I'm a four. You're a four. Oh. I'm a four with a with a subtype seven. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I'm really unique. <laughs> okay, and then do you know your wing, Tiffany? I'm not quite sure. It kind of goes back and forth. Okay. I actually don't know my wing, so I'm not sure about it. That's okay. Part of my journey for healing has been a. Uh, a jaunt through the valley of the Enneagram because that was the tool that let me look at myself in ways that I was resisting, right? I didn't, I didn't want to look at the darkest parts of myself. Um, but the Enneagram was the pathway that let me have access to more honest conversations. Kevin, what are you? I'm a three with a four wing. I'm, I'm a social three with a four wing. Isn't three a cheaper? No, is that six? No. Uh, yeah. Three. Yeah. And, and, you know, different people go back and forth and I'm, I don't typically put labels to it because I don't know if I identify, I don't necessarily identify with like that singular name, but when you look at motivation and desire, um, it just, it, it hits me on the head every time. Um, I'm, I fall right there. Like I'm driven by those things. So you, I mean, I don't know what home life is like for you guys. I know Caben, like you guys homeschool and you guys garden and okay. So for example, I'm in Thailand. I'm working full time. I'm teaching. I want to be with my kids. I want to be the stay at home mom homeschooling again. And I was Marco poloing with one of my good friends in Hawaii. And she was just talking about the, the difficulty of being at home and just doing the laundry and doing the dishes, you know, and I was a stay at home mom for uh, five years, you know, and homeschooled and it gets boring and it gets lonely. And it's not always exciting. And then coming, you know, going into another season and then hearing a friend talk about that, I just thought, wow, I long for that. I want that. I want, I want to be shaped in those ordinary things. I want to be sitting at my kitchen sink, washing my dishes and looking out the window. And I mean, I went on this big adventure and, you know, you're going to change the world or you're going to go experience the world. And it's on my, in my process, I just wanted to go back into the ritual of the ordinary things and be at home with my children. And I made a video for myself, which is so funny. Like I put my phone on my tripod and I was reminding myself of what I really wanted because I know how easy it is to forget and to always think that the grass is greener on the other side. And that's kind of this lesson I have to keep telling myself is even though I'm so affected by my environment and um I'm so visually stimulated I'm so I I have like I get sensory stimulation um that my circumstances are not as powerful as I give them permission and as a four on the enneagram my feelings what some people feel in 24 hours I might feel in 2 hours and so I have so many emotions 
and I give them a, I, I can give them a lot of power. That's where my discipline and in my journey, I come in and go, their feelings, they're not always true, you know, give them validity, but it's not, it doesn't always, they don't always have to control me. Even though my circumstances, my environment can have such an impact on me, it's really going to this other world is something that is internal. And it's this like exercise and discipline that no matter what is going on, no matter where I am, this is how I'm rooted and this is how I'm stable. And so even if I'm on a grand adventure or even if I'm at home doing dishes, I can experience the supernatural of God. I can experience a peace. I can experience a goodness and a joy no matter what. And it's it's kind of obnoxious because it's so obscure. <laughs> but I really believe it exists and I really believe that's what Jesus taught and that's what I'm trying to learn. And so I don't understand it, but that's what I'm seeking after. And those are the kinds of um, people I want to listen to, you know, like that's why I'm interested in monastic practices and a lot of the early church practices and disciplines. Tiffany, have you ever braved into the waters of Richard Rohr? Oh, <laughs> wait, I've heard Richard Rohr. Who was maybe someone that I love? So I, I, I highly recommend it. There's a good chance that the majority of people in your local church would consider Richard Rohr a heretic. But I think he's actually holds a very important voice in the space of what it means to be Christian. And I think his voice is important because primarily his voice is from that other world. And what I mean by that is it's clear that he has a set of values that clearly didn't originate on this planet. And he articulates them in such a relatable human way. I don't have to agree with everything he says to just learn an immense amount from him. He, he, for me, let me put it this way. He was the gateway drug into <laughs> a lot of this soulful exploration for me um, that has led me into other places as well. He takes these huge ideas that I'm sure he studied and thought about um, for hours or years or decades and then condenses them to like one or two sentences that make perfect sense in a really common way that you do not need to have any sort of degree to understand. It's really like layman terms, and I really, really love that. And I just think that he has so many ideas, and they all kind of feel like light bulb moments um, to me. So I've enjoyed his work also. Plus, he wrote a book on the Enneagram, and then one of his students wrote a book on the Enneagram that so far is my favorite Enneagram book of all the ones that I've read uh, called The Sacred Enneagram. So yeah, I, I highly recommend Richard Rohr uh, for understanding the Enneagram better too. Kevin, are you going to put all of this in the show notes, like the book links or titles and it, like, yeah, we've just been sharing a lot of things. Oh man. I, so here, okay. Here's my tension. I'm not an expert and you guys are amazing people, but you're not experts either. And if we just want to talk about the experts, like I'll just go listen to Richard Rohr's podcast. You know what I mean? Like why? I don't, I don't know if there's a need for another podcast where people talk about the experts when the experts themselves are talking on podcasts. So I, I wrestled with that for probably six months before I ever pulled the trigger and said, no, I'm, I'm going to make a podcast anyway. I can get over this internal conflict of does there need to be another podcast? 
And I could get over it in this way by saying, well, that brilliantly distilled Richard Rohr idea is meaningless unless there are real people living it out. And what I'm really curious in, because I'm a really slow learner, I need a lot of visual examples. I'm really curious in hearing the stories of how people are living things out. So whether that's the wisdom of Dallas Willard, whether that's the wisdom of the Buddha, whether that's the wisdom of, um, you know, your favorite politician or elementary school teacher, if you have been living out wisdom with dirt on your hands and a roof over your head and a meal in front of you in practical, literal, specific ways, those are the stories that I want to hear. And I recognize that there's an internal tension because on the one hand, you have to name the source of the wisdom. You have to say, well, I'm doing the dishes in this way because I read this book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary and it talked about this Benedictine concept and I'm integrating that into my life. And so I get all that, but then what I really am interested in is the actual getting to it of how has doing the dishes actually changed in your life because of this wisdom that you've carried into it? What does wisdom look like lived out in practical experiences? What I've been finding is that a lot of these, what I'm considering tan tangential references, I've been cutting out and I'm wrestling with that. Like, should I, should I not? I don't know. So that's just me being really honest. I don't have an answer. Um, if you guys have insight and feedback, I would love that. But really what I'm after is like, let's talk about, so this is why I was kind of pushing me on, on the whole rebuild thing is like, tell me how your wisdom from your childhood of being classically trained as an artist, of being raised in an architect's home, how has that shaped and changed home building for you? How has that affirmed things we see on TV? How is that like, no, that's total malarkey. How has that changed the size of the window you put in your kitchen or you know, the height of the ceiling or the K value of the lights you put in your entryway. Like, is there something deeper behind that? Is there wisdom there that like we might not notice unless we talk about it? And then once we talk about it, we're like, oh my gosh, I'll never see it the same way again. Like those are the kind of, like, those are the stories that I'm really interested in. That's good. That's good. And you know, when you were like, hey, let's do a podcast about Marxism. I was like, does he not know I'm not an expert? <laughs> and then, and then I was, then I was thinking, I'm like, oh goodness, I need to like learn all about Marxism now, you know? And, um, and I was like, no, like he, I'm not, he's not calling me on the podcast because I'm an expert. He knows that, but uh, I love it. You want stories and that's what people want. Also, I'm, I'm poetic. I love to learn whatever, you know, I want to read this thing or this book. So I think that's as a listener, for me, that's where um, I want more story. But yeah, sure, send give me some names of some things. Like you shared Richard Bohr. Okay, cool. Now I'm going to go on a little Richard Bohr tangent on my own at home. You know, Be but warned. Mia, you can share like what you think. You warned. <laughs> <That's so good. laughs> um, I just I have one um, piece of encouragement for you, Kevin. I heard somebody say recently that especially just what we're going through in all these times that we're like testing out new conversations where we're um, doing things differently. We're learning things in new ways or for the first time and to get really used to being wobbly and that's okay. And so um, I just so often want to do things in a perfect way and then won't do it at all. And so, yeah, get wobbly. 
And that's our show. Thank you for joining in this ongoing conversation as we seek to unearth meaning in the everyday stuff of life. For show notes or to connect with this community of seekers, visit us online at www.ofdustanddivinity.com. You are going to want to hear this next episode. We keep going with Tiffany and Mia, and we get into some controversial territory. We ask the question about capitalism and Marxism and Christianity. Can they work together? Do they fit? Is one better than the other? How does it all work together, and how should the Christian church be responding during this time? Here's a sneak peek of the upcoming conversation and absolutely subscribe and listen to it right now. It's live. It's so good. It's my mind is literally like opening up. I'm thinking about if communism isn't the answer is capitalism. What are the the cons of capitalism? And I know they're there. I just don't know exactly what they look like. If we put in structures, policies, systems that um, try to force in a just place, there will still be oppression, there will still be poverty. And so I think that's what alarms me is that the language that many people are using is very utopian in thinking that they will be able to eradicate injustice and oppression. And while that's the goal, that isn't the promise. A huge thank you to my wife for supporting this passion project, and a great big thank you to Michelle Lim of Clementine Brands for all the brand content, including the name of this podcast and the cover art. As you go through your day, remember these words of Rainer Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart, and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you, for you would not be able to live them. And the point is, to live everything. Live the questions now.